One of the themes of these final chapters in 2 Corinthians is the theme of, of God's strength or God's power made perfect in weakness. And, and that will come out um, uh, explicitly in chapter 12. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we see that theme being introduced here in this section of, of 2 Corinthians 10. And um, it's a reminder to us that God often does his best work through ordinary, weak uh, human people, ordinary um, men and women. And, and he almost makes a point of this. You know, you think of, about the 12 disciples <laughs> that were um, chosen by Jesus. Uh, these were not uh, world changers in themselves. Uh, these were uh, painfully ordinary uh, individuals. And it isn't just that God is able to work through ordinary, very imperfect individuals. It's that we need to know this. We need to appreciate our need uh, for God's supernatural grace and power for us to achieve really anything of spiritual value. You know, I, I personally, I find this a, a difficult lesson to learn. I, I okay, so I was going to say, you know, I'm a typical firstborn, <laughs> always feeling that duty to, you know, be responsible and, and um, to be strong. Um, and it sounds like I'm blaming God. Now, I'm hearing myself, and it's not, I'm not blaming God. Um, I had nothing to do with being firstborn. Um, but it's, it's, there's this reality that when circumstances get tough, my, I, I find myself, to, I, I immediately revert back to self-reliance. You know, and I, that's what the culture trains us to do, I think, in some respects, uh, to, to rely on our upbringing, to rely on our gifts, our own competencies, rather than just recognizing, hey, I need help. <laughs> I, am, I am not fully independent. That's just a lie from, from the devil. Um, I am dependent, not only on the Lord, and that's the, the focus of this passage, but in fact, we're all very interdependent. That's just the way the world is. Well, self-reliance is a devilish temptation, uh, not only for individuals, but also for churches. Um, it's, a, it's a temptation uh, for families, for institutions, uh, just to rely on their own abilities, um, to rely on ourselves rather than the Lord. And when we do this, um, what, what happens is, first of all, this is a lot about pride, um, human pride. And secondly, we fail to give God space. We fail to give the Holy Spirit room to operate and thereby to do the supernatural, to do the things that we really want to happen and to see genuine spiritual changes, heart change. Um, But these are things that only the Lord can do. The words of Paul in this section and following are a sharp rebuke, and they're, they're corrective to this kind of self-reliance. And it is, if I'm understanding Paul correctly, um, this is this, this falling back into self-reliance. This is part of the error of the false teachers. This is what the false teachers are doing in the midst of the Corinthians. And in truth, they're boasting of themselves. Look at what we have been able to accomplish for the sake of Christ and his church. That seems to be part of this implied mantra of these false teachers that Paul is addressing. Well, with that, let's turn now to our passage, 2 Corinthians 10, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 18. 
Would you stand for the hearing of the word of God? The Apostle Paul writes, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, They are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we love your word May it be our meditation both day and night. And by your spirit, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths for the sake of the God, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. In our passage, um, and, and really it began at the start of chapter 10, The Apostle Paul is continuing to challenge the the legitimacy of the false teachers, these traveling evangelists who have wormed their way into the hearts and minds of the Corinthians. Uh, These false teachers have found it expedient, even necessary, to attack the credibility of Paul in order to undermine his authority, his apostolic authority. And as part of his response, Paul explains that his authority It's not bad or harmful. Rather, his authority as an apostle, it's actually a gift, a gift of God. And it is the purpose of this authority is for the upbuilding, for the building up of the church. The claim of the apostle is set in the context of competing claims to authority. So that's, that's, this isn't just, you know, minor disagreements where, you know, maybe what these teachers are teaching and what the Apostle Paul is addressing are, you know, they might be off on the edges, but at the center, they're complementary. That's not the case. It's at the, the core issue of what is the central message of Jesus, the gospel, that there are competing claims. And, and this is recognized on both sides. And so what these false teachers have done is, is they've made these charges and accusations against the Apostle Paul to de- delegitimize uh, his authority and his role. And that's what the Apostle is addressing. 
The big question here is, who, who are the true apostles? <laughs> who, who are those who are, that need to be recognized as having God's stamp of approval? Who are those who the, the, the church people should credit with, with spiritual and churchly authority? And it's in this context that in verse 8, the Apostle Paul, and really this is an aside, but it's an important aside. The Apostle, he just can't help himself when it comes to seeing a teachable moment. <laughs> and so even as he's addressing this, uh, this idea of authority, he comes to, he, he just has to say in just one sentence, here's what you got to know about authority, and specifically my authority. This is in verse 8. He writes, for even if I boast a little too much of our, now again, this is kind of the, that royal use of, of the plural. <laughs> he means my authority, okay? But he's, he's using this kind of language. Too much of our authority, and here's what he says, which the Lord gave. We need, so what the Apostle Paul says, it's a gift. You don't, you, Corinthians, do not see my authority as a gift, but that's in fact what it is, and, and here is why. Our authority that the Lord gave for building you up, you see, and not destroying you. That's such a critical um, uh, statement that the apostle is making here. And, and there are three things. One, it goes to this nature of authority, and it goes to the nature of what its purpose is. It's designed to build up the church. And why this is so important, and it must have been critical even in their day, but I think it's even more critical today, because we live in such an anti-authoritarian period. We, um, it is true that authority can most certainly be abused, okay? It can be abused. We recognize that. But what our society wants to do is then basically throw out the baby with the bathwater. Our society wants to argue that all authority is um, uh, limiting, in a negative way. All authority is in some sense abusive. This is why we have to stick it to the man. And you know, it's funny, all those baby boomers, you know, stick it to the man in the 60s. Well, they're not all now the man. They are the man now. We live in an anti-authoritarian period. Independence, and now we're not talking about national independence, like, yeah, we celebrate the 4th of July. We're talking about personal independence. To be an independent man, an independent woman, this is all what our society talks about. It goes after authority, and what Paul is explaining here is actually authority is a gift. It's not just churchly authority that he has in view here. It's authority in the institutions that God has created, the institutions of the state, of the home, of the church, of even the employment world. And we recognize the importance of authority when it comes to, say, families. We recognize children need parental authority. And again, it is true, there is a small percentage of families where that authority is abused, and it leads to child abuse. And that is wrong, and we decry that. But the response should never be, oh, well, then that five-year-old, we should just suddenly have an Emancipation Act and all children are now on their own. They are set free from their parents. 
how long are they going to last on the streets? We see immediately in that situation the, 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 the goodness, actually, of authority, that it's meant, it's a gift meant to be a blessing, and from both sides, um, for the, those under authority, what does God say to children who honor parental authority, who honor their parents? They will live long. They will live a long life in the land. And this is not just Old Testament, but it gets repeated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. What, as Christians, we have to understand is that God has made the world a certain way. And authority is meant to be a good thing. If there were no fall into sin, there would still be authority. And authority is, is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to build up, Paul says, and not to tear down, not to destroy. And also the reality is we're always constantly moving from being in authority to being under authority because we're, we, we are in very different roles. Okay. You move from being a parent to being, you know, an employee of a, of a, of some company or, or organization. We're constantly moving, you know, and, and, you know, even in those organizations, often you're in authority, but then you have superiors, you know, you're, you're, uh, that you are in authority under. It's just the way the world is. And those who honor the way God has designed this, it's not just true of children, will be, God will honor that. God will bless those who recognize uh, the importance of authority, including church authority. And then that leads, what was that, that authority for? For the building up of what? The church. Okay, not only are we anti-authoritarian, how often, okay, I've heard this more than one time, lots of times. You're talking to somebody um, and you're getting to know them and you ask them a little bit about their faith. Or you ask them, you know, what do you think about God? Oh, I love the Lord. I love Christ. You know, I, I dedicated my life to, to, to God when I was a teenager. But then they say something along these lines. But I'm really a spiritual person. I don't have any need for institutional religion. Okay? Institutional religion. You hear that all the time. What are they talking about? Here's what they're saying is, when it comes to Sundays, I'm sleeping in. When it comes to being a part of a church, that's not for me. My relationship is just between me and God, and it is good, okay? It's a strong religion. The New Testament views a follower of Jesus living spiritually on their own, with certain exceptions to this, of course, but ordinarily... A follower of Jesus who is trying to live their spiritual life all on their own, apart from a local institutional church, as an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. It's like, you know, from the biblical worldview, it's like saying, I'm a vegetarian who enjoys meat. Those two things do not go together. The, the biblical understanding the, the, of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus almost assumes that as we follow Christ, we do so by being part of a local church. Well, that was supposed to be an aside. Um, in the Old Testament, God gave this promise to Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. That that promise doesn't go away. As it comes into the New Testament, it is fulfilled uh, not so much in Abraham, but in Christ. 
the greater descendant of Abraham. Those who bless Christ will be blessed. Those who curse Christ will ultimately be cursed. And if you just extrapolate that a little bit, what about those who bless the body of Christ? What about those who bless the bride of Christ, the church, versus those who curse the body and bride of Christ? It's the same thing. If you bless the church, you are blessing Christ, and God and Christ will honor that in your life in some way. But that just dovetails us back into the, the, the heart of what Paul is teaching here. That, that again, it's back to this question of, you know, who, who rightfully has this authority? Who rightfully has God's stamp of approval to give primary leadership um, to the church as well as having authority to speak the word of God to um, the Corinthians? Well, what Paul is going to go on and show is he says, you have to back up on a certain question. And the question is, is what is the standard by which you are going to test for true apostolic authority? What's the standard that you are going to use? And now what the Apostle Paul is going to show is, in fact, what these false teachers are, are doing, the standard they are using is essentially, it's a human standard. And it's a human standard that they're using to self-justify each other's authority within uh, the church at Corinth. So the false teachers measure themselves by themselves. Verse 10 is an example of this human standard um, that is being used by the false teachers. This is such an interesting um, verse. In verse 10, here the apostle is, is he's, um, giving voice to at least some of the accusation or the, uh, the words being used against him. Okay, so this is verse 12. Here the apostle writes, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, i.e. the false teachers. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So that's his basic premise. And then going back to verse 10. For they say, so here's part of their standard. They say, with respect to Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. What's the standard that they are applying to the Apostle Paul? Well, I mentioned this last week. They're saying he's not a looker. <laughs> his physical appearance is, is, you know, not easy on the eyes. And his, his ability to teach leave something to be desired according to their Greco-Roman standards of speaking eloquence, okay? So they're judging the Apostle Paul by these externals, by his personal presence and his ability to speak. In his commentary, uh, William Barclay, he quotes from an early church text dated around um, just about 150 years after the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The, the text is called the Acts of Paul and uh, Thecla. It gives a physical description of the Apostle Paul. And here's what the, this ancient um, commentary says. Paul was a man of little stature, 
thin-haired upon the head, crooked in the legs, of good state of body, with eyebrows meeting, and with nose somewhat hooked, full of grace, for sometimes he appeared like a man, and sometimes he had the face of an angel. Now, it's not a completely negative (laughs) portrayal, but essentially, if you got like the physical part of what that was saying, he was short, he was bald, bald, he had crooked legs, and he had a unibrow. That, that's how he's being described um, by this uh, ancient um, uh, document. And furthermore, in terms of the eloquence, you know, Paul will say in other places that his speech was unadorned. He didn't um, spend a lot of time trying to fit into the standards, uh, the very high standards uh, in the ancient Greece, uh, uh, Greco-Roman culture of what, you know, what created this persuasive, eloquent, elevated speech. Well, apparently the Apostle Paul, maybe he could have, you know, uh, followed those forms, but for whatever reason, maybe he just didn't want to, or maybe it was a little beyond his, his ability, we're not sure, uh, but he didn't. And this creates this kind of judgment on his ministry, and that leads to an undermining of his authority. But Paul's point in all this is that these are external things, external ways of judging him. These are not God's standards of a true apostle. Um, and, and these are maybe the standards that the false teachers are using among themselves. They are, you know, um, they may like have the, the, the presence of a Billy Graham. You know, they look good. They, they have a powerful voice. They, they speak with a, in a manner that just kind of wows you. Um, maybe that's where these false um, teachers, the abilities uh, that they had in themselves. But Paul is, is just showing that, no, this is not the standard that you should be using about what apostolic authority looks like. Now, and his ultimate conclusion is they are without understanding. And we, too, have to be careful here because, you know, we think we know so much better today. And yet, how often do we see Hollywood actors and actresses pronouncing on science and and medical things as if they have a clue as to what they are talking about? Well, why is that significant? Why do we see all the time, you know, um, products that probably aren't used by these celebrities at all, um, uh, making pronouncements of, you know, what a great product you should, you should do, you know, buy this or do this or do that. It's the same thing because we also place a premium on beauty. We place a premium on fame. We, we, we somehow grant authority um, to those who possess these kind of natural external qualities. And these qualities are not a bad thing, but it's a matter of we're talking in the context of authority. And even within the church, there's sometimes the temptation to fall into a similar trap. It's a temptation, for example, to use, you know, and I've seen this on, again, multiple occasions, where you have a celebrity, and they come to Christ. They, they convert. And within weeks, they're in churches, they're behind the pulpit, teaching about the Christian life, or, or sharing their testimony, and, and I'm always like, oh, <laughs> Let's give this person time, you know, to show a little bit of a track record in terms of this faith, because often, unfortunately, what has actually happened is these very, you know, individuals, 
who testify to their love of Christ months, a year later, are nowhere to be found within the church. We, too, need to be careful that we, we don't use external standards um, uh, to demonstrate or as a standard for God's um, stamp of approval. One thing Paul could say is, whatever success the Lord had blessed him with, it wasn't because of his own personal charm. It, it wasn't because of his, of his ravishing good looks. So what is the true test? Well, unlike the false teachers, Paul's boast is not in his own ability. It's not in his physical impressiveness, even his giftedness. No, Paul's boast is in the Lord. And the summary statement is found right at the end of the chapter, verse 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, using these kind of external human standards, but it's the one whom the Lord commends, okay? So there are two things here. The Lord, and, and this is again, okay, so reading between the lines, this is a little bit of a shot at the false teachers. His point is, if you really listen to them, their boast is in their ability. That's what you're going to, you know, conclude. Paul is saying, this is, uh, uh, this is a dead end, his boast is in what the Lord has done, and anyone who has seen him or heard him in person could testify, yeah, that's the only way that what Paul has achieved is explainable. It's very clear that this is not because of his personal giftedness. This is what we see in terms of conversions, in terms of the establishment of churches. Um, this is, in fact, a work of the Spirit of God. And it is through this that the, that the Lord is actually commending the Apostle Paul. How is he being commended? Well, he, he, just, he highlights two things. He could have highlighted more things. But verses 14 and 15, here are the two things that the Apostle, the apostle um, uses as evidence of God's divine commendation. So verse 14 for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. The very first thing he is he's highlighting is the presence of the Corinthian church. That this is a Christian church. That this is something that the Lord has done through the apostles' ministry. The Corinthian church would not have been established apart from the ministry and the work of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul and his co-workers. Now, and we need to back up. So this is an interesting little boast because this church had a lot of problems. This was a messy situation. I mean, in terms of Christian maturity, this is a church that struggled with immorality. It struggled with pride. It struggled with um, having a, a, a party spirit. Um, it was full of discord um, uh, and so forth. But nevertheless, it was a true church. It was, the Lord was at work in spite of, you know, all the messiness uh, that was uh, uh, a part of this church. 
And Paul's hope um, is that the establishment of this church will continue in terms of growth. Not only has the Lord established this church, but the church continues to grow spiritually. Verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope, and it's not clear whether he sees this exactly or not, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. What's his second thing? That they are persevering in their faith. That they are, in fact, increasing in their faith. That there, there's growth taking place. And both of these, the apostle says, these are the, what you want to look for is spiritual fruitfulness, both in your own lives and the lives of, of leaders, um, in, in terms of uh, the work. It, it, a sign that this is um, uh, the person who is, or, or people, group, that have God's authority. And, and Paul's simply saying, by God's grace, there has been genuine spiritual fruit that has come from our ministry. And my hope is that it will continue and that the kingdom will expand in this area. So we should all, as both individuals and a church, desire the commendation of God in our lives. And it begins with just, you know, repenting of our self-reliance, a kind of, you know, self-boasting, this pride. Humility, spiritual humility, goes a long way. Humility is always warranted. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter, you know, how old you are. Humility is always warranted because at the end of the day, there's nothing we have, the New Testament tells us, that was not first given to us by the Lord. And putting our confidence and our boast in the Lord, we should be looking to him, pleading and praying to him to bear spiritual fruit through us, spiritual fruit beginning with our own hearts and lives, and then spiritual fruit through us in the lives of others. And, you know, I think this is part of what um, the challenges, especially COVID-19, the, the challenges of the last year have been um, showing us is our weakness. It has been showing us how much we need the Lord to be at work in our own life together, in our relationships, in our families, with our children, with outsiders. If anything, in the last year, it should have... You know, if there's anything to come out of this with a renewed humility <laughs> about how far our own gifts will take us, we need the Lord to be at work. And our humility should increase our trust so that our continual boast is in the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, it is our heart's desire to please you. Help us in our endeavors this and every day so that in the face of all challenges, we may be able to finish the good work of faith which you have caused us to begin. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.